0: Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number four. I am Dave.
1: And I'm Ashley.
0: We're a couple getting to know each other better by exposing the pop culture blind spots from our past. I don't know if indie films qualify as pop culture. Yes. But we uh, pinpoint movies that the other one hasn't seen and that they really need to see. Yes. And then we talk about it.
1: Okay. So today we're going to talk about uh, Dave's pick, uh, which is Sex, Lies, and Videotape a movie directed by Steven Soderbergh from 1989. So, Dave, tell us why you chose this movie.
0: Why did I choose this movie? Because you've never seen this movie. I've never seen it. Okay, so it came out in 1989, which means I would have been about 18. I I was eight. (laughs) So your experience when you saw this at eight was remarkably different from mine, probably. I would have been um, just going into college, okay, and I was a uh, film student, right? Or that's what I wanted to do. I was off to film school. Film school for me was UCSD visual arts program. Um, So again, we, we, my last choice was like this too, but this was another one of those early American Renaissance indie films. And I was really taken with this kind of thing. As I said last time, small movies, small movies that seemed within the realm of possibility for someone who wanted to be a movie maker, yeah. Um <laughs> and this was another film that basically depends upon four characters, um minimal plot and all about the dynamics between them. And uh I remember the performances, the mood, the revelations. Yeah. Um and the discovery of this young American director Steven Soderbergh whose career I, you know, have kept following.
1: Was this um, his first movie? This was his
0: first film. Oh, wow. This is a first film. And um I mean he is still working with us today. He had uh, uh Logan Lucky came out earlier this year. And I know that you've seen a lot of his film or you know, a good the
1: popular ones, I yeah. guess, mainstream ones.
0: But I wanted to take you back to the yeah. beginning and show you like it was exciting to see this for the first time. It won the uh I think it won the Palm Dor at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Um it won an audience award at Sundance, um, various other awards. I'm not even sure what they all are. But um, it was uh, kind of a landmark film. Yeah. And just, I haven't looked, I haven't seen it in a good 15 years. So it's very interesting to come back to it at age 46 to see, you know, this movie again. Yeah. That I saw for the first time when I was 19.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the plot. Um, like a lot of indies, there's not a whole lot of plot. But um, let's just talk about the major events that happen.
0: So it's a film about four characters. You have Anne, played by Andy McDowell. Um, she's kind of a repressed housewife yeah. who feels herself growing distant from her husband, played by Peter Gallagher. He's an attorney, who, a womanizing like, attorney, who in fact, yes, their marriage is getting growing apart because he's having an affair with her sister, Cynthia, yeah. played by Laura San Giacomo. Enter Graham, James Spader. young James Spader, one of, I I don't, it's surely not one of his, I knew he made some high school films first. James Spader plays Graham, college friend of the husband, needs a place to crash. He is nothing like the attorney. He's quiet, artsy, moody, broody, um, and definitely walks to a different, what is it? To the beat of a different drum? drum, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So it's about the effect that his presence in town has on everyone. Um, And you need to know that everyone. we're going to see everybody's relation to sex in this film. And he has a peculiar fetish wherein he is basically impotent and can only reach any kind of satisfaction by uh, recording videotapes. He has a collection of videotapes of interviews that he does with women he meets and gets to know interviews about sex and their sexual experiences so what happens when you put him in (laughs) (laughs) alongside Anne? yeah who
1: is very repressed very repressed yeah like a lot of i would say the way women were raised in the south yeah at the at the time and maybe still are but you know definitely in the mid 80s you know in the height of reaganism and that sort of thing well the late 80s i guess but
0: so, the, the, I mean, the, there's not a whole lot more plot to get into with that until we, you know, yeah. as we start talking about the film, but it's a base, basically Anne and Graham reach find a connection.
1: Yes. Connection is the big <laughs> word, I think. It's a connection.
0: Um, call it awakening for her. Yes. Awakening for him.
1: I think transformation is the word that I would, That's I a would good one. strike for him. Um, and we can talk about that some more. Um but I guess just to talk about the cast and the performances. And so this is one of Annie McDowell's first movies. It may have been her first. I meant to role. look that up
0: before we started recording. I th- Cause I, th- I think it may have been one of her very first films. She was yeah. pretty much like what a L'Oreal girl or something. Yeah. Well, I think she, she, well, I think a, she
1: still is. <laughs> well, she
0: started as a model. Yeah, and yeah. Um, She was not the original choice for this role. Um, it was going to be Elizabeth McGovern. I want to say. Um and uh elizabeth mcgovern's uh agent didn't like the script wouldn't even pass it along to her <laughs> andy mcdowell came in and read for the part i think she went through two auditions and um nailed it and they decided well, she with her.
1: has the such um a very and she does this in all her roles because i've seen her in more age-appropriate films when, when I was younger, but, uh, you know, she was in Four Weddings and a Funeral. She was in Green Card. She was in, um, what's the other one? Oh, Groundhog Day, of course. Uh, so did you
0: say Four Weddings and a Funeral? I did you say. Did? That was okay, the first sorry. one I
1: said, yeah. Um So I, I've always really liked her, so it was good to see her in that. And then um, I think I said when we were watching the movie, I've always liked James Spader a lot. Um, Talk to me
0: about James spader's performance in this film how did you react to it
1: um he's so in in not internal 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 in, like the performance is so interior facing. yeah
0: so it was very <laughs> interesting to come back to that performance because i forgot how eccentric it was
1: yeah
0: um i mean he, we've he all
1: barely s- made eye contact with he anyone. doesn't make
0: eye contact and he, he has huge
1: eyes, so you can de- definitely he see. He seems to
0: be constantly following another train of thought going on yeah. in his own head to the point to th- where he has to kind of like snap back to the fact that he's actually in- yeah. talking to somebody in a room. Um, non sequiturs, awkwardness, but not really like a lack of confidence, just kind of a, you, almost like an alien. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like well, he's I, th- he's, I mean, he's he's been traveling around. He's been gone from nine for nine years. I guess they went to a school somewhere in Louisiana. He's come back to I think town, coming
0: back to Baton Rouge. Yeah,
1: and um,
0: living in his car basically. Yeah, you know, dri- he, he likes the freedom. He has a car and one key. But he's confronting. He's looking for a place to stay.
1: I think he's confronting some demons that happened with his maybe college girlfriend. I guess um, just a- how he was in college and how he has been trying for nine years to not be that person that he was in college. You know? Violent, angry, we get the idea. Um, Sort of like the uh, Peter Gallagher character, uh, John, Mm -hmm. who is still that way, who never changed. (laughs) Exactly.
0: It's really weird to... To understand how they are friends. Yeah. I mean, how they were such close friends. Peter Gallagher seemed to think like, oh, we were very close at one time. I don't yeah. know if Graham would agree. Well,
1: they were, I guess they were in a frat together. They talked about Greek stuff a little yeah. bit. So they were in a frat. And from what we can tell, they engaged in the typical, stereotypical frat boy kind of things. Um, and Peter Gallagher seems to still be living his life that way. Or John, I guess in this case. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um he is, you know, the typical like '80s like shark man, you know, with the, you know, the power and the ego and the suits and the eyebrows, yeah, and the eyebrows, yeah, kill, and the eyebrows, right? yes. eyebrows McGee, <laughs> which is <laughs> something I've always called it. I always have liked Peter Gallagher as well. Okay,
0: but even even <laughs> as a terrible, terrible, selfish, narcissistic, womanizing shark, yeah, like only looking out for himself and immediate gratification. He's really charismatic.
1: He I is. mean, he's
0: just. This is what Peter Gallagher brings to the role. I mean, your eyes
1: always <laughs> go immediately. I don't think he, he's always been in a lot of background roles to me that he's I've seen. Charming. But your eye just goes right to him. It always, always has. It seems like.
0: And then the other character we haven't talked about is Anne's sister Cynthia, played by Laura San Giacomo, and talk to us about that relationship between sisters. I that's, mean, that, it's that's really the,
1: you know because she's having sex with her her sister's husband and doesn't really seem to have a problem with that like yeah. i i always thought that was really interesting is like they have a good sister relationship but th- i think they have an adversarial sister they, relation too
0: they definitely have an adversarial yeah. situation um it's interesting because, i mean i always feel like part of the attraction of John Peter Gallagher to her is the fact that it is her sister's yeah. husband. She gets something, she gets off a little bit on this idea. Well, and she, she she has the fantasy of I want to do it in my sister's bed, yeah. which is pretty terrible.
1: So, I mean, I you know, I've never had a sister I had a brother. So, our relationship is not like that, but you know, I know that You
0: sister, wouldn't call yourself an Ann and Cynthia?
1: No, oh, okay. no, not me and my brother. Um but I know that there's sometimes more of a competitiveness between siblings of similar genders. So what we have is the older sister. I assume Anne is the older sister who was, you know, the perfect child that everybody doted on. And she has this lingering feeling of being not as good as her, her older sister, you know, and I think they're just good in different ways. Cause like, at the end of the movie, I don't, the sisters, you know, even though, you know, Cynthia has been sleeping with John the whole thing, you don't feel like she's quite as evil as John is, you know, um, I, I thought that was interesting. But to me, she, she's, she's earthy and fiery and, and she's a woman who likes yeah. sex. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: And is unashamed and as she should be.
1: Well, and I Except think, for the fact
0: that she's having <laughs> sex with her sister's husband.
1: Well, I mean, like, if you start to look at the relationships, if you look at the relationship between John and Anne and Cynthia, for him, Anne is the the wife, the 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 Madonna in, in this. She's well, the, I was
0: going to ask you, yeah. how are they together? <laughs> what is... Why? He marri- how did John yeah. end up with Anne? He
1: married the girl he was supposed to, who looks best in society because they live in a small southern town. This is the society wife that you show around to your um, partners at the, the law firm, sort of trophy wife, and that sort of, sort of thing. thing. Um, but she's not the kind of girl you sleep with because you don't want to defile her with that sort of thing. So you have your, you know, quote-unquote whore that... uh, She
0: will host your garden parties and (laughs) have your boss over and serve the iced tea and and that sort of thing, and she'll decorate the house and, you know, be pleasant.
1: But I don't think that he, he... I don't think he connected with either one of them. You know, for him, sex is about power and pleasure and his ego... Whereas I think that... Um, uh, Cynthia? Cynthia. I'm, well, I don't think she's touched by that. I mean, I I think that she's using him for her own ends, and she's enjoying herself, but she doesn't she care. She doesn't have any feelings she for him. She does not care about him at all, you know. Um,
0: he seems to be able to muster feelings of some sort of jealous possess possessiveness over her yeah. when he sees her heading towards Well, it's towards about Graham, controlling his a, things, yeah.
1: you know, or what he sees as his things. So... Um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, if you look at the relationship between Graham and Cynthia and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a different thing because Graham, although he's, he's struggling to connect to people. I mean, I think he finally gets there in the end, but, you know, and that's what I think his videotapes are about is that, you know, he doesn't trust himself to, to maybe touch because he knew how he used to be. And maybe now he's learning to, to make connection real connections with people,
0: I think real connections with people is what he's after, yeah, and it's actually at the crux of his neurosis or his sexual problem yeah. is in order to feel sexually attracted to someone in order to ha- have any kind of gratification, yeah. he has to develop an intimate relationship, an intimate relationship of some kind getting to know the person as a person
1: well and i think that that's a wider look at how society views sex like i think especially in the late 80s that a lot of people would have viewed sex as this sort of power ego thing and um and we start to focus more on the the connections between people and like some people can just have sex like like Cynthia, she can just have sex and, and enjoy it either way. But some people really need that connection in order to make it meaningful and um, get anything out of it. Otherwise, it's just kind of cold and unfeeling. And, you know, which is why probably Anne and, and uh, John don't, don't get along. She's not into sex at all, c- probably because John is selfish and doesn't worry about her at all and just does his thing. So they stop having sex altogether because she's like, what is even the point? You know, and then.
0: Which is something she admits yeah. one of the first <laughs> times that she and Graham. Talk. Yeah, really. Let's unpack a little bit some of the developments mm. in the movie that kind of you know make it happen. And the first thing is we talked a little bit about how Graham is so inward and internal, and yet he's the one who who takes their superficial uh, small talk sort of relationship between him and Anne when he first meets yeah. her and jumps it about fifty steps ahead um, by asking <laughs> intimate questions like. I, with, tell,
1: tell me something personal. I think is what he says. But even her.
0: before that, the moment he, he she lets him into the house. Oh yes. Um, and she gets the iced tea and they sit down. She's meeting him for the first time. Cup small talk here and there, a couple of lines, and they says, "So what? Tell me what you like about being married." Yeah. Why do you like being married? And she
1: can't give him a good answer either. No. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it had to
0: do with um, she liked the house yeah, and the house. she feels secure. Yeah. And um, he's a great guy.
1: <laughs> oh, he's a partner at the law firm. Was the other thing. So it's.
0: But yeah. we quick, <laughs> we quickly engineer a situation where she, uh, where John suggests uh, that she help him uh, go apartment, honey. Yeah. He needs a place to stay. John is not being friendly. John is looking for a reason to get her out of the house so that he can bring her sister Cynthia over to fulfill that fantasy of having sex in their marital bed. So that's a crappy thing to do. (laughs) But it does put um, Anne and Graham together again at a cafe table where pretty much the second day that they know each other, again, the conversation jumps 50 steps ahead to tell me something personal about yourself.
1: And she, that's and she, when she says she doesn't and like And they start sex. talking about sex right yeah. away. She yeah. says,
0: I've never really gotten what the big deal is about sex. I don't need it. It's kind of silly. Yeah. Why do people mess up their lives for it? All of that. <laughs> and then she throws it back at him. Tell me something personal about yourself. And he says, I'm impotent.
1: Yeah. And, well, and then he goes on to explain that it's situational, not um, yeah. functional, I guess.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and then... And then... She, you know, as as he's moved into his apartment, uh, into his house, um, she's over there and sees the fabled collection of videotapes in a yes. shoebox. What is it?
1: Yeah, it's it's his interviews with women about sex. So he tells her he's honest because that's one thing he's established throughout this is that honesty is really important to him. He, he's also established that he thinks uh, liars and lawyers are the worst people in the world. I think that was. Oh, that's you,
0: honey. She yeah. says. To she says, to John.
1: Um, and you know, he, he explains later that he used to be a liar and that's why he's so adverse to it. So he's really honest with her about what the tapes are and she freaks out and runs away. You she know? can't <laughs> handle
0: it. He, he, he says, "Huh? Oh, why do, why do we, why does each tape have a woman's name on it? What is this? He says, uh, it's me having conversations. I interview them. I have conversations with them. What do you talk about? Talk about sex, sexual experiences, the first time they had sex, things they would do, things they wouldn't do. And she's like, oh, my God, what what kind of weirdness have I walked in on?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that, I mean, he's clearly, he's, I mean, there's a bunch of tapes there. There's like 30 or something like that. So he's clearly tapped into something for some women, at least, that, that he will just sit there and watch and ask them questions and listen to how they respond and record it. And then they're happy to share that information with him as long as he doesn't share it. And this is before the Internet, so he, you know. He could sh- mm-hmm. send it out over satellite, I guess, as they say in the movie. <laughs> um, but it's funny because then her, then her sister is immediately interested. She tells her sister all this, and she's immediately interested in. Cynthia comes. Her
0: sister pretty much asks for the guy's address yeah. right away and heads over to see James Spader.
1: Yeah, and she she gives the tape like right away. She she's there to do that, and she totally. I mean, he, she figures out what it is. He registers right yeah.
0: away that she would be into, the, that she would yeah. be open to uh, making a tape. Yeah. So they make a tape.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny if you talk about the sisterly, I think that that there's an attraction between Anne and James Spader from the very first scene, and it continues. And then, you know, when she freaks out and runs away, and then her sister makes the tape, I think there's some level of jealousy there that her sister did that with this guy that she likes, you know, that she's never going to say she likes because
0: no, but it's not proper. He's immediately attractive to her because he's all the things that her husband isn't. Yeah, He's honest. He's open. He's direct. He talks about real things. Yeah, um, He cares about her. He wants to know about her. He's curious. She's interesting to him. He listens to her. Yeah. You know, these are all things that I feel she's completely taken for granted and not really seen as anything more than the trophy wife. To um, her husband.
1: Yeah. Well, I, one thing that I think is interesting, just talking, you know, a little bit about, more about the contrast between the environment that John is in versus the environment that the other characters live in. So, you know, he's in this very, you know, cold business office by himself for the most part. And then the home that they have is, you know, obviously a very wealthy home. It's The walls are white, except in places where they're, you know, the traditional, you know 80s colors and all a, the favorite colors of yes, the 1980s on yes the walls. it's i mean it's a very carefully constructed life that they've made for themselves and it's a very cold environment and you compare that to the houses of cynthia and graham and they're in these old apartments with wood floors and high ceilings and you know weird colored kitchens and you know there's a lot more warmth there than there mm-hmm. is in this sort of cold house that she's living in, you know, so.
0: So for all shit to break <laughs> out, basically the mechanics of this plot requires everybody, all the lies to come out yes. and all the <laughs> confrontations to happen. So Anne, of course, becomes aware of the affair that her, she her husband She finds her is
1: sister's a, earring when she's vacuuming bed, the under floor. Under the bed, yeah.
0: Okay, that sends her into... Um, is that's what sends her to uh, James Bader's house?
1: Yeah, she gets angry, and um, that's when she decides to make a tape. She shows and up. She at his makes house a tape. And she makes a tape.
0: But her making a tape isn't as simple as the camera turned on her.
1: That's yeah, because with Cynthia, they show the whole tape being constructed, or they show him watching it right away. Um, with the and tape, we see him starting it, and then it fades to another scene. Um, I think it's the scene where she actually goes and tells John that she's leaving him is that, right? She,
0: I don't remember exactly, but um, what I what I was getting at also is the fact that she's not a passive interview interview subject. Yeah. It, it culminates. Oh, with she her asked turning him questions table. too. She, yeah. takes, she picks up yeah. the camera and turns it around. Well, and him.
1: ultimately ends up seducing him, which I think is is interesting. Um,
0: so the movie depends on us. Believing that these people have these big effects on each yeah. other, um, does this work for you? What effect you talked about this a little bit in terms of an awakening? What effect does Anne have on Graham, and what effect does Graham have on Anne?
1: So I, I wrote these down i i have I have this for Anne: sex equals connection. Mm-hmm. For Graham, finally having sex is his transformation into being, you know, finally connecting with person being intimate from the person he used to be. You know, Cynthia, it's about pleasure. It's about fun. It's about being herself. And then, you know, John, it's about power and ego and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, like for me, it worked. Um, I believe that the way they set it up, there was such tension in the household Mm -hmm. between Anne and John that they needed, like something was going to come and change it, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know if it if if it wasn't Graham, it would have well, been something else. Well, this is the whole else. man who
0: comes to dinner sort yeah. of plot where, <laughs> where the visitor arrives and upsets the whole balance yeah. because everything is out of whack, but there's th- something needs to bring it all to the surface.
1: It sort of it reminds me of, the, of a doll's house sort of in a way, mm-hmm. you know, just that, you know, something's going to happen to cause it to change. Um, and, and he just happened to be the one. Um,
0: so I want to talk a little bit about the movie as a movie and Steven Soderbergh's direction. Mm. And one of the things that I was happy to go back and see after seeing many more of his movies, and I didn't realize he was doing this sort of thing right away, but he likes to edit scenes and sequences in such a way so that you're often seeing the visuals from one scene, time and space, Mm. while um, dialogue from the next or another time overlap. It's kind of an L-cut sort of thing is yeah. what we would say in, <laughs> in, in editing. Um, and he does it a lot to make um, time blend yeah. together. It starts, you see that right away with the opening credits, with uh, the uh, footage, uh, it cross cuts between...
1: Her um, therapy session. Her
0: therapy session. And you hear the dialogue of her therapy yeah. session, Oh, sit therapy session over the visuals of Graham arriving at the gas station, um, you know, brushing his teeth, shaving, all that kind of changing his clothes as one does.
1: Yes. Washing
0: in bathrooms (laughs) and gas stations. stations. Well, Um, you
1: do if you only live in your car, I suppose.
0: And, um, there's another really cool one that I liked. I don't know if you caught stuff like this too, but they often occur at those, those dramatic moments when she discovers, I think it's the moment when she discovers the earrings and completely mm-hmm. freaks out. It's a moment when she, she fly, leaves the house like completely pissed. She gets into her car, shuts the door, and you see her scream. Yeah. But you don't hear the audio of her screaming. Yeah. And then it cuts to her in the car, but now the car is in front of Graham's house. Yeah. We've cut, and she gets out and goes into um, his house for the moment, I believe, where they make the tape.
1: Well, and you know, similar happens when Peter Gallagher or John is watching the tape, and it cuts back to the time that's when they were actually favorite. recording it. Yeah. That is where it all. Yeah. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> the
0: tour de force of this technique uh, is is um, is her husband confronting Graham when he realizes that she's gone, uh, that she's made a tape. He goes over there, beats up, you know, yeah. pretty much punches Graham and the James Spader in the face, throws him out grabs uh and then rifles through the tapes finds Anne's tape plugs it in sits down presses play and then we have this this cool the way it's shot where you get to see fragments of the tape on the screen um it which then cuts back into that moment uh, playing out live before us so it kind of flashes back and flashes forward again and you go between the we get to see how that scene actually unfolded um and then sometimes go back to the grainy footage yeah. of the videotape. <laughs> but it, it, it's amazing. I love that
1: Well, stuff. and that's, you know, that's the m- moment that, you know, things change for Anne and Graham. You know, she seduces him. They The tape cuts before we find out if they have sex, but we assume that they do. Um, so, like, things are different now, you know. Um,
0: I think that the tape ends with her... <laughs> kissing uh, him. With him going over to the sofa and climbing onto him and then she turns off the camera. Yeah. Right?
1: Well, and I love that scene. I I always want, I didn't talk about Annie McDowell's hair, but like her <laughs> hair is his own character. It so is. as soon as she finds out about John and Cynthia, like her whole, uh, she's been like buttoned up and wearing sundresses and she changes into jeans and a tank top Mm -hmm. and her hair's just in a, like a scrunchie, I guess, because scrunchies were the thing at the time. Um, But this is as much unbuttoned as her hair has been the whole show. Um, And then, you know her hair gets more and more loose as the, as the thing. And then, so when she tells John she's leaving him, her hair is, it's like a whole, she's like a force of nature with her hair streaming out around her. And, um, but the scene where she's kissing him or, um, on the couch, there's this lovely light coming natural light coming in mm-hmm. through the window and you know James Spader has these like hooded eyes and she's got the Renaissance hair and it. it almost looks like a like a Renaissance painting, you know, with the natural light and you know only on a couch, but <laughs> like an 80s weird stuffed couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we have just a couple minutes left. Mm-hmm. Do you have final thoughts? Things that you uh, noticed or want to address?
1: Um I I really I I think it's interesting that I, I like the I still like the sister relationship. I like how at the end you still like the sister like they have a scene where they she comes and sees her sister at the bar at the end and it's clear that they're friends and they have a relationship and you know nothing's going to change that. Um and I I liked that as to me as the, co- the emotional constant through the whole thing is that they have this relationship that isn't going to change regardless of you know which men drift in and out of their lives. Um you know, I know that's not the core of the mm-hmm. thing, but of I really like yeah. that, you know, about it. And, you know, I really liked um, Cynthia's character a lot. So
0: I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't remember that character yeah. as much as we were heading into watching this again. So it was cool to see that again. I One of the things that stood out to me more this time that I don't remember bothering me at all you know, I must have seen it three or four times back in the day because it was kind of a favorite film for a while, um, was the sort of lack of specificity of the Graham character. Mm-hmm. I had, I, it felt kind of constructed this time. This, I mean, I just found myself wondering, like, wait, what his life is? He's just in this unfurnished apartment, um, sort of like hanging out there with his tapes. It didn't yeah. seem like there was any momentum for, like, he, it didn't seem like he had a full life. Well, I mean, it I sounded know,
1: like he had inherited money. Like, somebody asked him about his money, and he's like, I'm not worried about that.
0: It's true. He but, said it's
1: under the mattress or something like that. Yeah,
0: I took that to mean <laughs> that he's got a trust fund or something Yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> but um, the fact that he has no... You don't have any sense of what he does during the day. I mean, you have some sense yeah. of what he does during the day. But... Um, <laughs> there was kind of a lack of specificity to his to his character in he was another present tense character, I what think
1: What about the thing where uh, supposedly he him and Anne have a relationship at the end? I don't know that that was necessary.
0: You mean where you see them on the sitting on the steps outside yeah. uh, on the porch talking yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Well,
1: and then they have a close-up scene, too, with John, where it's clear that he's about to lose his job because he's been ignoring his clients the whole mm-hmm. time to have sex, um, which I don't know if that was necessary either. I guess it provides some sense of closure. You're supposed to
0: get this kind of come-up-and yeah. feeling for him. Like, yeah. it. what goes around comes but around. But it seems
1: like him being devastated by... It seems like <laughs> losing his
0: marriage, his... his uh, <laughs> Sex partner slash mistress, you know, and uh, being exposed as a complete cheat, liar, and asshole should be enough. But no, he's. You kind of feel like he's going to get fired too. (laughs) There's
1: that scene is a little awkward, but um, you know, you know, I think really it could have ended you know, with the kiss on the couch and that would have been, yeah. you know, fine without any of the, with the weird
0: moody synthesizer yeah. music, which we were both kind of making fun of there yeah. at the end, but I really liked it. Yeah, it's
1: good. I like it. Sorry. <laughs> well,
0: we won't do that. Um, so one of my hopes for this movie was to uh, make it, make you curious about seeing more of Soderbergh's films that you haven't seen. Um, and I felt like I had to back up and go to the beginning,
1: to the very beginning. Yeah. There's, you know, I probably just seen you know the the big ones that you'd be able to name, Aaron Brockovich, and um, I can't think of any others. I haven't seen Traffic, so
0: Traffic, <laughs> um, the Limy, uh, his take on uh, you know Terrence Stamp as a Cockney gangster come to America to reckon with uh, Peter Fonda and the, the the man who you know raped and murdered his daughter. Amazing sort of mm. genre film, which has again a lo- all- some of the most experimental editing and, and strangeness in terms of time and place dissonance like yeah. we were starting to see even in this early film. Um, it's a couple of the movies I want to show you at some point.
1: Okay.
0: Maybe not on the podcast. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we have a life outside of this show as yes. well. <laughs> all right. That's all we have time for this time. Thank you for listening. Um, if you would like to drop us an email with any feedback on the show, send it to shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Do we know what we're watching yet? Uh,
1: I haven't selected specifically. I'm thinking either The Fog of War uh, by Errol Morris or The Jerk uh, with Steve Martin. So those are my two options. I would like
0: to see The Jerk with the the soundtrack of Fog of War played over. (laughs) Okay. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.
1: Bye.